Welcome to Strange Little Worlds. You know, like, it's like, you know. Oh, yeah. Like. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, it's like, boom. Tsk, boom, boom. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Strange Little Worlds after dark. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to Strange Little Worlds, a road trip style podcast where we explore the sexy murder and mysteries of the paranormal that you find in the backyards you call your world. We're Drew and Danny, and we're everywhere that you can think of and more. Check us out, find us, and who knows, maybe you'll enjoy some secrets after dark. Continue. Hi, I'm Danny. Hey, I'm Drew. And welcome back and welcome, new listeners, to Strange Strange Little Little Worlds. We are a podcast that's Going around to states and locations looking for some spooky stuff and murder. Along the way. Along the way. Drew's in his Ghostbuster mobile or mystery machine. Whatever works. It's the what same deal. I don't know what he's in. I'm in my FBI forensic lab <laughs> van. The point being, if Mulder and Scully could do this, anybody could. So this week we are in... Connecticut. Connecticut. We've, I'm sure everyone is super excited who've been with us from the beginning. Love you, Chris. We've been sitting in New York for so long, we could barely make it out of the city. We made it out into Westchester, and now we're into Connecticut. Yeah, we've paid the tolls. We've gassed <laughs> up. We got the snacks. We are on the road. And we're in Connecticut, you know, one of the states that people have trouble spelling, just like Mississippi. Just like Mississippi and Massachusetts. Oh, true story. That's Can't wait till we get there. So many repeated letters. <laughs> Thank you, spell check. M-I-S-S-I. <coughs> True story. <laughs> so since it's now, we're entering a new month. We're in February. We are. Do you by chance have some numbers to run by our faithful listeners? I have plenty of numbers. We actually just recently passed the 800 mark. What? 800 downloads. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Not 800 of you. Thank you to like 20 of you who have listened to us. Repeatedly. <laughs> We appreciate you coming back, and for anybody new who's come in and gone, we uh, we miss you. We really miss you. You're doomed. <laughs> so I've made it a personal goal that we're going to try to see if we can get to 1,000 by March. March. Cool. Yeah, like yeah. let's aim for maybe St. Patty's Day so then we could have a drink. Hey. And we'll post that photo. <laughs> of us so. drinking to you guys exactly. listening to us. Hey. So we're going to give a shout out to the states that are listening to us, the particular states that I've been able to see because some people have VPNs and I can't see if Didn't you do like a thing on Instagram where you asked like who's listening and And someone responded and they're like Alabama. I was like, "Yo, Alabama, what's up?" But Alabama is the only one that responded. No, I thought Australia responded too. <gasps> yes, you're right. Australia did respond, but they didn't come back to us in January. Well, you know, it, they're dealing with a lot down there, so They are dealing with a lot and I hope they're okay. Yeah. But they 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 unfortunately didn't come back to us. In January, but I hope that they're doing well, and I hope they do come back. We still have ten months of the year; we can get them back. I hope they come back because I'm I miss Australia. Not that they're listening to us any more than anybody else. I just love Australia for some reason. <laughs> Probably because they're so far away. <laughs> Drew, Drew is cringing. Okay. Anyway, so let us thank the following states: New York, of course; Connecticut, of course; New Jersey; Pennsylvania. D.C., hey. Washington, D.C., Tennessee, Massachusetts, Virginia. Nice. Texas, what well, came back, thank you. Utah, California, hey. 
Georgia, hey. Florida, West Virginia. That's two Virginias. Right? Both Virginias. Ohio, Maryland, North Carolina, Alabama, of course, mm-hmm. Oklahoma, Maine, and Michigan. Thank you, guys. You nice guys are know. awesome. Thanks for coming back. And if you're from another state and you just joined us, I will make sure to say thank you in March. True story. So the following countries have listened to us. You're going to be surprised because we've got some new additions. Sweet. Now, the United Kingdom came back. Thank you, guys. And Sweden came back. Now, since Australia is not here, right. we can't thank them, but thank you anyway. But Taiwan hey. listened to us. Cool. Singapore listened to us. Strange Little Worlds International, what's up? And then this one surprised me because it lists this country as the Hellenic Republic. It's Greece. Greece has not been the Hellenic Republic for quite a while, so I was surprised that it was listed as Hellenic Republic. Well, thank you, who who or whomever you are. (laughs) In Greece. I don't know why our, our podcast host listed you guys as... Hellenic Republic instead of Greece. I guess maybe, I don't know, they're doing political or I don't I don't even know. <laughs> but thank you guys for coming back and thanks for joining us again for our new episode. True story. Next week we're going to have a mini-sode and the week after that will be a regular full-length episode. Mm-hmm. And then another mini. And, and then, then another mini. And we're just, we're just switching it up busy. on you guys. We're just busy. So I start with my true crime this time around mm-hmm. until episode 20. And then we're going to switch it up again. And Drew's going to start just but, for, yep. for we, fun. We got to throw it in. in. So <laughs> before we start, how are you doing? I'm doing well, actually. How's this winter, this winter kind of not winter treating you? Because I feel like the weather has been very. This winter, not winter is really weird. It's it's kind of like drying out the corners of my mouth. But then like. It's called moisturizer. I, I have moisturizer, Drew. I'm just okay. saying. I'm just, you know, but then, like, yeah. I don't put it on when it's warm because it's warm, but then it gets cold and then it... <laughs> Sounds like a personal problem. It is a personal problem. So, yeah, I, I just feel like every one day, one day it's like, oh, this is really nice. And then I'm like, okay, cool. And then and they freezing. <laughs> okay, so we're going to continue with the stories now because we are in Connecticut. We're two New Yorkers. Mm-hmm. We've lived in New York for, like, the majority of our Anytime lives. Anytime I'm driving to Connecticut, I drive and then I come back. It's just... <laughs> Hi, Literally. how you doing? Great. I do the thing. I go to I that leave. mall in Danbury and go. then I just come back. Yeah, you... But because there's like, I've driven through Connecticut quite a few times. and it, To me, it kind of looks like a boring state. No Is offense, it... Connecticut. Well, yeah, well, I got to say, you, you you want the Connecticut viewers to come back? <laughs> no, no, no You shouldn't offense. be insulting their beloved state. I'm sorry. It's beautiful. It is very nice. But it's nice. like, what do, you, what do you do? Maybe nature's, you know, hiking and stuff. I mean, they have lovely casinos. I don't really... Do casinos because I lost a hundred dollars one time. I, I went Vegas, to Mohegan so. Sun a few times. <laughs> they have some really nice ones, but they're all Native American casinos. So oh, cringe. You know, it's, no, but it's good. It's fun. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, you are they have, actually run by Native American? I'm not sure about yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So, but the point being that I feel like I never really go just be like, hey, let's go to Connecticut. You know how like some people say, yeah. hey, let's go to New York. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It's an adventure. Or like, hey, let's go to Las Vegas. Yeah, that's like a thing. I feel like the one thing I always enjoy, when we went to purchase, we were, where we were purchased, we were near the border of Connecticut. Yes. And there was that place, Connecticut Liquors. 
nearby purchase that everybody who had a car would always drive to because oh. it was in Connecticut. So the booze was cheaper. Oh, that's right. Because they don't have like certain tax. Like yep. their taxes are totally different. Yep. Yeah. So when you wanted to stock up for that party <laughs> and the old hey, alumni, you just got that car. It's like, all right, cool. We're going to get uh, some peps. We're going to get some wine. <laughs> Some scotch. We're going to ring the dinner bell, see who who comes. And you made sure it was in the trunk of the car. Pretty much. Because you couldn't get pulled over with that being in your car. Well, you know, again, the the, the cops who are always in front never really give, give much of a shit. Give to, yeah, give to. Except it was culture shock. Then they cared. <laughs> they were like, you have an idea? Yeah, <laughs> literally. Oh, my God. I made the mistake of parking in the wrong parking lot during ter- culture shock one time because I was a commuter. Mm. And I parked closer to where the, the dormers park and... Did you get a ticket? Yeah, of course I got a ticket. I, had, I paid so many tickets. I it was ridiculous. It. And I'm like, you see, I'm a commuter, dum-dum. I have the sticker. There, there was one time I parked. It wasn't in the commuter spot. And I did a horrible parking job. I can admit this. <laughs> Somebody left a note on my windshield that oh, was written in crayon that said, nice parking, asshole. <laughs> written in crayon. It was like crayon or marker or something. It was I just love that very. Someone had that. Available. It was just very bright. <laughs> it was just nice parking asshole. asshole. And I should have saved that because that is just a hilarious memento. Literally, you should have. Because I would get that over a parking ticket any day. <laughs> so, those are some of my fond Connecticut memories. Besides driving to the occasional Connecticut convention, so. But Connecticut's got the uh, aquarium there. They do. I've do. actually been to the aquarium. It's also very lovely. Uh, I really need to go there. I want to go there. Maybe one day we'll do a summer trip. We just say these things and we never do them. Well, we, maybe this it's it's a new decade. We can do these things. We can make it happen. We You will see we the fish. do it. Exactly. So point being, Connecticut, the same thing that happened when we were doing Westchester. So many stories to condense in two. So I don't yeah. know how your process was. Oh, my God. Seriously, Connecticut, y'all are f- effed up. Like, y'all got some crazy murderers, crazy mm. crime. I could not pick just just. Thank God we do mini episodes. Two. Yeah, exactly. I picked one for the mini episode, but even that was hard as heck because there was, like, so much information on I each like one. Whenever I do my research, I always put haunted. I always get haunted houses. <laughs> and I'm just like, nope, no, nope, no. nope. <laughs> Ooh, that looks good. You know, <laughs> I, it's, it's always just said because I've just, I'm always reading these stories and I'm just judging on the amount of pizzazz. Like I have this little thing. I was like, is the drama enough? And I'm like, is the murder big enough? And I just, for a moment, feel horrible because I'm like, there's something wrong with well, me. Well, I picked one story that's not a murder, actually. Well, that's it is a true crime, but no right. one dies. Not well, this time. It's going to be our next episode. The, the the two that I chose in Connecticut are both very historical. Duh. <laughs> I think all everyone knows. No. <laughs> no. Um, but they're both very interesting, just the history alone. And to be quite honest, uh, the stories are really more appealing sometimes. That's the funny thing I realized when we're doing this. For me, the ghost stories are great and it's really fantastic because sometimes I really do fall in love with the history of our locations. Mm -hmm. Like it's so great learning about them because I have this better appreciation for some things. Like I've been to Connecticut, but I've never been to these places. And I'm like, wow, if I should ever be in these locations that we're going to discuss, I'm like, I would actually love to see this place I've researched. Yes. And, you know, God forbid, maybe hopefully see something. Although (laughs) – 
I'm telling you, if we go someplace and we see something or anything, drinks are on me. Okay. <laughs> but that was like when, when, um, when my husband and I went to the lighthouse, the lighthouse, and I didn't know it was haunted. But on our way there, we passed. A, the sign for Lake Ronkonkoma, and I was like, I was like, oh my! Like, if we didn't do that, right. we would just drive by. Like, hey, I'd be like, oh, cool! It's a, it's a funny sounding lake, but because like you went through the whole story yeah. and you went through the whole history, I was yeah. like, oh, Tony, and he's like, no, <laughs> he's like, why are you so excited about this? And I'm like, it's spooky haunted. <laughs> <laughs> and if he didn't need any more of a reason not to make a detour, I'm like, nope, keep going. <laughs> exactly. Like I know Tony, he's just like, no. <laughs> No, we are making wise decisions. <laughs> exactly. That's why you're still alive. Exactly. So you said this one is a is a crime that we who remember the time before the internet or before the current day internet. Yeah, before the modern day internet would relate to. So proceed. I will proceed. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So I could have honestly I there's so many really good stories in, right. in Connecticut, like a lot of our Connecticut listeners, you'll probably remember Martha Moxley. She was murdered by Michael Skakel, who was the nephew of um, Ethel Skakel Kennedy, and oh, wow. who was widow to Robert F. Kennedy. Right. I could have also talked about William Howell, okay. uh, a serial, one of their serial killers in Connecticut. I could have talked about the Sandy Hook massacre. But instead, I'm going to talk about Christina Long okay. and the internet. So who's Christina? Christina Long, she was born... In March 17th, 1989, Mm -hmm. in Connecticut. So she's 89, I'm 87. So she's, what, two years younger than me? Or was? Yeah, so she she would be 30 now? Yeah. Right? Yeah, she would be 30 now. Okay. She was the second daughter to Joyce Owens and Bruce Long. Okay. By the time she turned 13, she had already lived a very tough life, but you would never know it. So she was living in Danbury, Connecticut with her aunt Mm -hmm. and who was also her legal guardian. Okay. Shelly Riling is her name. Christina was in sixth grade and she loved dancing. Like she studied the moves on MTV. She would like implement them into her own routines. And then she would like teach neighbors dancing. Like this girl loved dancing. So by the age of 12, she was fully developed. She stood at five foot two inches. And by... The year's end, she weighed about 125 pounds. Okay. Like a very, you know, adult, basically, weight and and height. Right. Average girl. Average, yeah. And then she actually fit in very nicely into her new school and her new life in Danbury with her aunt. And then within a year, she was baptized. She became an altar girl, an honor student at her Catholic high school. I'm sorry, not... It's weird because Catholic school kind of like combines yeah. certain things. So it's, I guess it's like grammar school, I guess they call it. And she was actually very popular. Okay. But before this, she had actually been bounced between her parents for a very long time. That's rough. In court documents, the Hartford Courant publication lists that Christina's mother, Joyce, alleged that her husband was a drunk. Mm-hmm. And then she made unsustainable allegations that he abused their two children. But there was no evidence of this, but she alleged that he abused them. So, right. And she was, Christina was in his custody at the time. Christina's father then contended that he feared his ex-wife was going to kill him. So after their parents had divorced in 1991, again, she lived with her father. But then, 
you know, she argued that he was abusing them. So she was awarded custody. Okay. And then Christina went with living with her mother. She first lived in Washington Depot or Depot in Connecticut, then in New Milford, then in upstate New York. Then by like July, I mm-hmm. think July 2001, her mother moved to Ogden, Utah. And at that point, Christina's aunt, Shelly, mm-hmm. jumped in. Right. And she was granted temporary guardianship by the Danbury Probate Court okay. to have custody over Christina. And then Shelly joined Christina in seeking a restraining order against Christina's mother. Wow. Because of some issues between that was like happening. And then, oh, right. In the restraining order, they said that Joyce, the mom, was coming to Connecticut from Utah to take Christina. And they were like, no, please stop it. Wow. And it, it, she's quoted as saying that Christina does not want to go with Joyce. Joyce will be very, very angry when she finds out that Christina will not go with her. I am positive she will try to kill me. So the judge, like, put a restraining order against her wow. to try and stop this drama that's happening in this young girl's life. But you would her, none of her friends would ever know. No one in school would ever know right. anything she that's happening at home. She was good at keeping it. She was very good at hiding all of this. That still does number on a kid. Exactly. So she... So July 2001 is when she moved in with her aunt. Right. After that, there's no more information regarding the relationship between Christina, her mother, and her father. Okay. However, a few people interviewed by reporters said that her parents may have also been abusing drugs during this time period. Now, this may or may not be the case. Mm. It could simply be just two people who hate each other so desperately they're using the children against one another, which happens. Mm -hmm. You know, people are so angry that they do irrational things and they end up you know, hurting others in the process, which is a very sad thing. So for now, the drug abuse, we're just going to consider it as hearsay because we don't actually have any evidence of it. So Christina's, you're wondering, you know, because she was the second of two daughters, where's the older one? Well, the older one had married at 16 by this time, and she had moved out just to avoid all this drama between her, her parents. And then, yeah, and then she moved away. Her, her half sister, Shauna, had moved away by then. But Christina being used by her parents would not be the last tragedy to befall her. Right. On May 17th, 2002, mm-hmm. her aunt, Shelly, dropped Christina off at the Danbury Fair Mall. After she failed to return home that night, her aunt reported her missing. Oof. Her body was discovered not very long after that. Christina was strangled to death by Saul Dos Reis. Saul immigrated from Brazil to the United States when he was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. He lived in Port Chester, New York, where he worked at a cafe called Cafe Brazil, and he was married. That's right. Saul is a 25-year-old married man. From Port Chester. From Port Chester, New York. And that cafe that he was working at, it was his father-in-law's business. So now we're all thinking, how did a 13-year-old girl from Danbury, Connecticut in 2002 meet a 25-year-old man from Port Chester, New York? The internet. Of course. So in 2002, as you and I both know, the internet was literally the Wild West. Like everything was just open. Everyone was just learning what you could do with the internet. There was no such thing as safety filters. There was, t- was parental controls. Ha. 
Good joke. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> You've seen some shit. I've seen some shit. I, I, There's no way to see there, that shit today. There is enough things that I learned just by being in, in group chats. Literally. And, and and people like linking you weird stuff. Yeah. Like there was it, no, it, no filter. The mistakes were made. <laughs> Literally. Like stuff today, if I had seen, you know, half that stuff. No, no way. Like no that, way. that wouldn't like, it would never even show up on a search. It would never even show up on, you know, like two girls, one cup, oh, tub please, girl. Please. Like, <laughs> Honestly, uh, stuff I would, if I had a family, I would move him to Amish country. It was like, no, no, we're not learning Literally. about this till we're 15. Literally like half that stuff. Like we shouldn't have seen that, no. but there was no filters back then. And there's no way to see it now because, you know, Google filters, proper safety precautions. Thank you, Google. But, but back then. That nope. that wasn't there. What you saw, you that, saw. What you yeah, it was it was there. And at 13 years old, you know, with the rough life Christina had, she'd log onto the internet going through chat rooms. But unlike most teenagers or tweens, really, she was actually looking for adult men to have sex with. How old is she? 13. No. Exactly. No. Now, because of right, I said earlier she was she was fully developed. By the time she was 13, aside from braces and mm-hmm. like that typical, like cute little baby yeah. fat face that you get when you're a tween, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to tell that she is a 13 year old girl. Like, oh, did you see photos of her? Did you- yeah, I have photos of her. I, I'll share them. But literally like her face looks like a tween. But her body does not. No. Yeah. Yep. And they then. And- but when she puts on her cheerleading outfit and she's got the cheerleading thing, she looks like a tween still. Right. Because it's got, you know, that cute little. Right. Baby style, but she was literally, yeah, she was, yeah, she was actively looking for. Now, that doesn't mean that because she's looking for it, she should have it. And that doesn't mean it's okay for adult men to do that to her. Agreed. But that's what she was doing on the internet. That's what she was using it for. And, Unfor- it's unfortunate. And her, her rough life. It's a case of... Looking. There's blame on both sides because what was a girl her age doing looking for this from a man? But what was a married man mm-hmm. doing on the Internet looking for this from an underage girl? And more than one man. She had met with more than one man by this point. I'm lucky she didn't like she's lucky she didn't die sooner because. So she had she had been meeting people. Yes. She had been meeting people from the Internet. Wow. It was said that she dressed too provocatively for her age. She wore mm-hmm. too much makeup. You know, she danced too sexy. There, 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 there are always things that people always try to put. Yeah. I think, is she to blame for some of this? Yes. Um, because she was actively looking for it. Right. But no, this should not have happened to her. No, not at all. She should have been protected by those around her. And... Grown men should not be looking for children. Exactly. You Like you as a child shouldn't be looking for it in the first place. But if you are, it shouldn't find you. Right. Literally. And that and it, that that's the that's what I'm trying to say is that there's blame altogether. Mm-hmm. There's there's no it was your fault. Yeah. You know, but no, it was his fault. I have sure. to say more of the blame again, because <laughs> listen, it's one thing to do it. But you took it the extra step. Yeah. You murdered. A set, I mean. A child, yeah. You know, I, well, uh, let let me get into yeah, it. Let yeah, me get yeah. Into we're, it. yeah. We're, we're doing the debate a little too early. Yeah. So, the point being is, she's out there, she's looking for, she's, yeah. let's say, suitors. Yes. Yes. And in comes this guy. Yeah. Yeah. 
So because, you know, they're saying like she did this, she's too sexy, she's too this. She also on the Internet, though, she went by a lot of different screen names, right? Obviously, AOL times. She had a lot of suggestive screen names. And the one that she used most that was like repeated in all the articles was long too hot, the number four in the letter U. So long too hot for you. And her slogan was, I will do anything at least once. And then her status was listed as I might be single, I might not be. Great. But you don't know. You're all anonymous on the internet, which is true. Like, you could be whoever you want to be online. Yeah, but you just put two very big hooks in a wa- in a very mm. big ocean. And I'm pretty sure she lied about her age. Oh. 90% certain of it. Like, actually, 99.999% certain of it that she did not tell anyone her real age. Of course not. So Christina actually met Saul on one of these chat rooms, of course. And he he went by the screen name Hot ES 300 so the ES300, of course, refers to the Lexus model, the ES300. Yeah, because he loved cars. And his slogan was, always up for adventure. Mm. Continue. Authorities, so the authorities said at the time that he strangled Christina while the two were having sex in his car after he picked her up at the Danbury Fair Mall and drove down the road to a deserted parking lot. So all of the articles say that they had sex. I disagree. A child cannot consent to such an act. No matter how many times they say yes, how many times they say they understand the consequences, she was a child. Yes, she was actually actively looking for sexual partners on the internet, but it is their job to say no as soon as they see her and find out her age. Because as soon as you see her, you know she's not 18. Right. You can just see that, but... Okay. But they yeah. everyone says they had sex. All the articles say they had sex. I will say that here. I disagree with that term, though. I just want to put that out there. That's fine. Okay. Authorities, so, right, her, her aunt said she was missing. So they conf- confiscated her... <laughs> her computer they found the chats between Saul that's how they found him they confiscated his computer and they discovered that the two had made arrangements over the internet to meet that night right she had her own website titled sxy so sexy me for you to see basically is how it spells of course it's internet chat so half of it's abbreviated and it's just a letter or a number so that website was actually removed right after her death. Of course. And on, But on the website, one of the articles said that she talked about how she didn't feel close to her parents, wanted to be a rapper like Eminem, and admitted that she, quote, dances a little sexier than most girls. According to a friend, Christina loved going on the internet because, quote, when she was on the internet, nobody knew who she was. And she liked the attention probably. Maybe, but I think she really liked the anonymity of it. No one has to know who she really, what's actually going on in her life. She can make up her own story. Mm -hmm. Yep. The friend also said, quote, I used to go to her house and see her talking to guys on the internet. I never thought it was a bad thing. She once told me she went to a guy's house, but I thought she was fooling around. Which, you know, like it's uh, it's the internet. You're like, oh, what harm could it be? But she's actually actively going to these people's houses. Right. Which is the dangerous part. Yeah, exactly. So on Christina's computer, the authorities found even more emails. And according to her aunt Shelly, there were emails from a 22-year-old man from Bethel, Connecticut, telling Christina that he would wear a condom next time and that he was glad she wasn't pregnant. Dear God. In his emails, the young man talked about having sex with Christina in her home while her aunt was at work. And a third person emailed asking Christina to go to the beach in New Jersey with him. Great. 
again, they probably didn't know she, well, the guy who's emailing about New Jersey probably didn't know that she was young. He probably hadn't met her yet. But the guy who had sex with her, I'm pretty sure, knew she was underage when he, anyway. Yeah. And you, you, you. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. No, it's it. it, it this got me tough. really angry. So I'm actually a lot calmer now after I've done all the research. But yeah, I initially, who I was so mad. Yeah. So um, at first, Saul denied involvement, but later he confessed that he killed her, that he threw her belongings into a dumpster and dumped her body into a shallow stream in Greenwich. In court, the prosecution said that he tried to create an alibi after Christina's death by writing an email asking, so how was that date with that guy last night? (laughs) Nice try, buddy. So following a polygraph test on Sunday, May 19th, two days after the murder, court documents showed that Sowell confessed to strangling Christina in his car during sex at the Danbury parking lot. He further stated that he dumped her body in in a broken Greenwich, 35 miles away, and threw the girl's purse in a gas station dumpster. So that's all verified. Okay. So lawyers for Saul challenged the validity of his confession. Now, it's common because, you know, he took a polygraph test and then he confessed. We all know polygraph tests are bullcrap and they don't really do anything and they're completely inadmissible in court. They're actually used for psychological not warfare, but like to psychologically like psych you out because you don't like once it's on you, you feel the pressure. Right. And if you've done something wrong, you just end up confessing right. because it's, it's it really f's with you mentally. Yeah. So the FBI placed Sowell under arrest for, quote, using the Internet to entice a minor into sexual activity, which is a federal crime after he admitted to meeting Christina online and having sex with her on two different locations. And then the following day, on the 20th, he led investigators to her body. So he was charged, oh, he would be charged by the state of Connecticut with one count of first-degree manslaughter, three counts of sexual assault, and one count of risk to injury to a minor. Then the federal government, right, Mm-hmm. would charge him with two counts of using the internet to entice a minor and two counts of interstate travel to engage in sexual activity with a minor, plus one count for using the internet to entice another minor, a 15-year-old girl, in the summer of 1998. All of these crimes are federal, so now the feds are involved. So, Saul pleaded guilty to first-degree manslaughter and three degrees, three counts of sexual assault as part of a plea bargain that limited his maximum prison term for 30 years. He entered his plea under what's called the Alford Doctrine or the Alford Plea. Now, for those listeners or a listener who is interested in any kind of law, the Alford Plea is basically, well, the definition per Cornell Law School is known as a best interest plea, which registers a formal claim neither of guilt nor innocence toward charges brought against a defendant in criminal court, kind of like a no contest plea. Right. So the Alfred plea stopped the full process of the criminal trial because the defendant, typically only with the court's permission, accepts all the ramifications of a guilty verdict, which are the punishment of the Mm -hmm. guilty verdict, without having to attest to having committed the crime. So you're basically right. like, I'll, ad- I'll accept the punishment, but I don't admit that I did this, which... Makes no sense. <laughs> but it's legal. So I- And 
only if the court accepts it. Right. So Saul conceded the state had enough evidence to convict him at trial, but did not agree entirely to the authorities' version of events. So before he pled guilty and after in trying to prove Saul's innocence, his attorneys claimed Christina died after she encouraged him to choke her as part of erotic erotic asphyxiation during rough sex. They alleged that Christina might have died as a result of an enlarged heart and irregular heartbeat during rough sex with him. Again, I want everyone here to know that I disagree with the term sex because she was 13 and he was 25. Noted. So then defense then said Saul panicked after Christina stopped breathing, may have driven around with her body in his car for an hour because from Danbury to Greenwich. Anyway, but prosecution and Christina's family pointed out that in the time of after Christina stopped breathing in the parking lot, he never called 911. He never alerted mall security guards because they were down the road. He never stopped at one of the three area hospitals. And authorities said his car had been spotlessly cleaned when they searched it for forensic evidence after he had confessed. You panicked, right? So during sentencing, right, because he pleaded guilty, so now he just has to be sentenced. The courtroom was so crowded with reporters, family members, and friends that Christina's family had to sit in the jury box. Wow. Because there's no jury, right? He pleaded guilty. Saul's mother and stepfather were unable to find a seat, and they were forced to stand for the entire two-hour proceeding. Judge Patrick L. Carroll III said he was shocked by the attempt by the defense attorneys to minimize Sowell's responsibility for Christina's death. He said, quote, it's not so much what caused her death as the fact that she died at the defendant's hands. Perhaps we can agree it was an accident that she died, but it wasn't an accident that you were there. It wasn't an accident that you knew she was underage, that you engaged in sex with her and put your hands around her neck. So Saul apologized to Christina's family and pleaded to, with the court to have mercy on him. Quote, people say I am evil. They don't know the pain I feel inside. Every second I live is a reminder of what happened that night. I did some foolish and selfish things that I did not do, uh, that I did not do all the things for which I was accused. I am not evil. I am not an evil man. But the judge was unswayed by his plea. He said that Saul already had been shown leniency by A, the prosecution, whose decision it was to charge him, to not charge him with murder, and by the offer to trim 20 years off of his possible prison term in return for the plea. Quote, the time for mercy was the evening your victim died at your hands. The judge, this is a judge. You've already received mercy from the court and from the state's attorney. There is no more room for mercy here. Mm-hmm. Then he, then the judge sentenced Saul to 20 years in prison for manslaughter to be served concurrently with three consecutive 10-year terms for each sexual assault charge, a total effective sentence of 30 years. But before he was sentenced, his mom wept and begged the court to have mercy on her son, saying he's not a monster. He's a good boy who did a very big mistake. I'm sorry, a mistake? Is that what we're calling? Okay. Christina's family spoke portraying her as a vivacious, loving, energetic young girl who had turned 13 just two months before she died. And then Christina's aunt, Shelly, called Christina her best friend 
a bundle of unbridled energy who brought joy to the most mundane events from playing games with shopping carts and grocery stores to spontaneously breaking out in song and getting applause from people in a hospital waiting room. Quote, when Dos Reis, Saul, destroyed Chrissy's life, he also destroyed mine. My whole reason for being was taken away from me. Ancelli was also particularly incensed by his repeated ref- references to Christina as his friend. Quote, the last I knew, friends don't kill each other. How could he dump her belongings in a dumpster and her body in a ravine and still call her his friend? She then urged Judge Carroll to use Sowell's sentencing to send a message about the hidden dangers of surfing the internet, mm. which at the time, you know, was huge. Please send a message to other predators out there that if you hurt our children, you will pay the ultimate price. So don't do it. Right. So then he got sentenced to 30 years. The feds then, in their trial, sentenced him to an additional 25 years for having sex with the both Christina and the other underage girl. So his combined sentence was a total of 55 years. Prior to sentencing, prior to pleading, so we'll see, I saved this for the end because I didn't want to go into it first. I just wanted to see he got he got what he deserved. But right. prior to all this, he was doing interviews with CBS The 60 Minutes in which he says he tried to save his internet friend after strangling her during sex in his car. Quote, that night I lost my friend. My friend died. He was emotional, by the way. Mm -hmm. And I tried to save her. I tried to give her CPR. The correspondent, Vicki Mabry, says what happened didn't work. I'm not a killer, though. His lawyer told The Post in another interview, he's been portrayed as a monster and he wants to know that he's not a monster. He's been portrayed as a pedophile. and He wants to show that he's not a pedophile. Sorry, she was 13. Okay, but hold on. It's not over yet. On March 2004, Saul Dos Reis filed an appeal in the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, arguing that his federal 25-year sentence was too long. (laughs) It's too long, it's unjust, and it's unreasonable, they claimed. Uh His attorneys argued that sentencing for a particular crime in the federal government was different in the books, right? There's, There's like... The books say, like, from this year, to this many right. years to this many years. So in the books, it was different from what the judge had given him mm-hmm. in the federal case. I'm not going to get into the specifics because he's a whiny baby. But in May 2004, so literally March 2004, they filed an appeal. In May 2004, like, what, two months later? Right. The Second Circuit upheld the 25-year term, saying that the sentencing was fair. According to Detective James Held of NYPD's Sexual Exploitation of Children Squad... When speaking about how the internet has been made much easier for sexual practices, quote, it is the perception that adults are the only ones going online looking for sexual activity. There are children doing the same, and it is more prevalent than people think. The reasons an adult man had sex with a 13-year-old girl can be, quote, sexual inadequacies, social inadequacies, Mm -hmm. power, machismo, or... The Thrill of the Forbidden Fruit. This is a quote by Ruben Rodriguez, director of the Exploited Children Unit, Mm -hmm. uh, the Exploited Child Unit at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Right. And these kinds of cases are apparently rarely end with physical violence. Detective Held said that they usually don't want to do anything to end the relationship. Mm -hmm. 
Christina's case has been featured in an episode of a show called Web of Lies on the ID channel, and her case also caught the attention of Congress. Mm. Shortly after her murder, the House of Representatives voted 396 to 11 to broaden the power of investigators to seek wiretaps for suspected sexual predators. So while few people really knew who she was, Christina is still remembered very fondly. Quote, she used to order her bagels with strawberry cream cheese, said Francesca Lima, a former manager of the Dunkin' Donuts. I'd like to thank CBS News, David Hancock, Hartford Courant, Colin Poitras, Dave Altamari, Don Stacom, New York Post, Dan Mangan, Westchester Magazine, Daniel Grindlinger, News Times, Karen Ali, New York Times, Corey Kilganen. Hey, Corey, what's up? Findagrave.com, Los Angeles Times, and the Associated Press. So I think this is one of the cases that really started the whole, you know, parental controls and safety and, and like internet security protections for children and stuff like that. I think this is one of the, the cases that we all heard about, like, oh, right. you know, don't don't meet strangers because they're going to kill you. Like, I think this is one of those cases that we... Totally. How freaking sad is that? It's definitely one of the more emotional stories you've told. Um, I don't right. I think it's just... It's sad. It's really sad. And I feel like it's the kind of thing that brings up a lot of, a lot of, of controversy and debate, you know, because that's the thing is like, where do you draw the line? You know what I mean? At like, at the understanding, mm. like, let's say that you, you, you have an incident where let's say somebody is uh, like when they're younger, they're inappropriate with someone, you know, you tell this person that's not good behavior. You need to look into that, everything. They never do that again. Mm -hmm. They're not a pedophile. You know, mm -hmm. they did something wrong. Yes. And it's up to the person who, they're to, if they want to forgive them or not, totally within mm -hmm. their right, of course. You know, but I don't believe that's a pedophile. That's someone who, if left unchecked, could be. Mm -hmm. But, it, you know, it's kind of like it, it's, it's a learned behavior. You don't wake up and, like, you're not born and saying, oh, I want to be inappropriate with underage girls. Mm. In my mind, this is something that, you learn over time mm -hmm. and usually usually it's sometimes it's trauma mm. you know it's trauma something's odd in the way your brain is wired mm -hmm. you know that kind of thing and sometimes you can seek treatment for it mm -hmm. sometimes you can get medication for it you know it doesn't have to ruin your life but then there's always people who fantasies become a reality mm -hmm. and in this case that reality can be deadly. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a horrible, unfortunate side effect of thing. And I think that's why a lot of parents now are so overprotective of their children. Mm -hmm. Because it's like uh, someone told me this story that he was that he was told by one of his favorite authors who he was friends with. And he was saying, you know, when you're a parent, when you're being a parent, everything is great. You're so excited. This is the happiest moment in your life when they're born. But then when you realize and you bring them home and you start to raise them, everything in the world grows fangs. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very ad accurate mm -hmm. way of looking at thing. You don't know who you can trust. You don't mm -hmm. know backstory. You have to be protective. But at the same time, you have to do your best to teach your kids the rights and wrongs. You don't want to let them know that such evil is out there in the world, but it's like, I would rather you know and 
know what those signs are so you can make good decisions rather than you don't. Yeah. And you get caught up in a bad situation. You know, and I think honestly, had Christina's parents been a better source of, of guidance, everything, she probably would have ended up better. Yeah. You know, and that's no disrespect to her aunt, who I'm sure was a loving guardian mm-hmm. who cared a lot about her and whatnot. But the internet is is a wonderful thing, but it's also a dangerous tool. Extremely. And we know this because we grew up in this time. We grew up, like, I've learned a few lessons being on the internet. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some this. stuff I didn't want to see. Exactly. I learned some things, things, stupid things I did, stupid things that I saw. You know, making you know, the accident of going on 4chan and stuff exactly. like that. Exactly. You know? It's tough, you know, but we learn because I'm not doing that anymore. Oh, yeah. You're not doing it anymore. Oh, hell no. Hell no. Hell no. So... I like my mental health. Thank you. Exactly. So I think the thing being is, is that we as a society need to understand that the only way to really help individuals like this is that we need to encourage them to get treatment. Mm -hmm. We need to encourage them to get the help that they need Mm -hmm. because this is not normal behavior, you know. But no one knew it was happening. But that's the thing is that we need to understand we cannot be so quick to blame right. others. Like no, the, yeah, the fact absolutely. that you're telling me all oh, these people are labeling all these things. It reminded me of Columbine when everybody was blaming all of these things for what was to blame for why these kids did what they did. Mm-hmm. And and they're blaming violent video games, South Park, all of this stuff. Oh, yeah, violent movies, violent yeah, yeah. TV. Yeah, yeah, all of these yeah, things. I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember in the montage, because this is Bowling for Columbine, and I remember all this montage, there was one person that said exactly what the reason was. He was. He said society. One person said the right answer. Mm-hmm. But everybody was more regular blame Marilyn Manson. Mm-hmm. Is it how oh, works? yes, yes, yes. The music, yes. Yeah. I remember, oh my God, yes. Yeah. All oh of that. Oh my God, yes, yes. And that's the thing in the end. And we do it every time. We do. Every but, time it because happens. Because we have to understand the most important thing. It is still the choice of the person to do these things. Exactly. It was, yes, Christina should have never been online, mm-hmm. lying about her age, doing the things she did. The fact that a girl her age was looking for sex, mm-hmm. like- that girl should be focused on who she's taking to junior, junior prom, as Literally. bullshit of an event as it is. Um, <laughs> but that should be like the most, you know, important thing in her life. Exactly. It should be surviving puberty, getting to high school, surviving that crap show, you know, going to college, figuring out who she is, making the friends, becoming the best damn dancer, dancing for J-Lo. Right. Would have been great. Yeah. Okay. And that's the sad thing is we can look back on and we could see that if some like and that's where the responsibility comes in. You feel that one person had made a bit of a different choice, it might have completely affected her. Yeah. We can't do that because yeah. unfortunately Christina's gone. Yeah. She's gone. Her the, her murderer, let's just call it his yeah. her murderer, whatever despite what he said, whatever he did, whether we want to label him as a murderer, a pedophile, whatever the labels, I prefer murderer because yeah. whatever he did. She still died at his hand. Exactly. Yeah. And I can only imagine if it was an accident, I can only imagine what would have happened. But the facts don't add up. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you were pointing out. Everything is in the end. She's still dead. Yes. Okay. It would have been one thing. And she, he's the one who did it. Right. It would have been one thing if it was an accident. As in, 
she accidentally got hit by a car. Or, right, like that kind of accident. Yeah, it, it'd be totally different. It would still be tragic. Right. But unfortunately, these kind of things do happen. Yeah. But this was no accident. There was a choice made. There was mm-hmm. a discussion. There was a plan. Mm-hmm. It was set in motion. She was picked up mm-hmm. and things happened. The body, you, an accident, you don't dump a body Thank you. In a creek. You don't dump a purse in a dumpster. Mm-hmm. You immediately call the police. You, you say this You happened. call EMS. Yes. You call the whole thing. That is what someone who this happened accidentally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to tell you, in that scenario, he's still going to jail. Because if you still had inappropriate relations with, with a, a minor. With a 13-year-old, yes, you're still, exactly. You're still, you know. Yeah, you're still but going to you, jail. Yeah, but you wouldn't be a murderer. Mm-hmm. Although, in some cases. If she I, had gotten help in time, maybe, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Either way, his name is Salim. Saul. Saul. Dos Reis. Yeah. Yeah. Saul's life was over the second he agreed to meet with her. Literally. And unfortunately, so was Christina. No, I think it was because, again, she was on the internet. She was anonymous. The first time he met with her and saw her and decided to continue is where his life was over. Either way. Because you can still agree to meet someone and not really know, but the right. minute you see and you still make the decision to have to a sexual stay, relationship and stay, stay. Yeah, that's on you now. Right. In the end, our condolences, of course, to Christina's family. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so sad. And I'm, you know what I'm going to say? A condolence to uh, the, the murderer's family. I'm sorry that... You had to find out that your child, yeah. who I assume you guys did your best, mm-hmm. turned out to be such a piece of garbage. Yeah. And that's not a fault of the parents. That's the thing I, I, I always like to stress. If you are loving parents and your kid still turns out to a rotten apple, it is not your fault. At some point, he was 25, right? Yeah. You know exactly who you are. Oh, yeah. Like, yes, 25, you're still still figuring married. Some, sh- some stuff out. He was out. a 25-year-old married yeah. man. And, oh, yeah, his wife did divorce him during, you know, oh, of course. the whole thing. Of course. Of course. Because she's a smart woman. In the end, this is just more of a lesson to everybody. Because these things are still happening. Mm-hmm. Like, people, like, this is where they, they, because of things like this. That's why I don't, if I don't know who you are on Facebook, I'm not accepting your friend request. Literally. If I have no idea who you are, you know, especially, and this always annoys me, if you're, Profile character is an animated character. <laughs> no. No. I have to see your face. Yes. I have to know what you look like. And there has to be some reason I know you. Like, yeah. Like some people. Like I met you. They either I met you or there's a reason. Like there are a few friends on, I have on Facebook that are Ghostbusters. Never met them, but they're Ghostbusters. So right. I'm like, okay, we have a mutual interest. Right. Fine. Yeah. We're not friends. Like, oh, hey, let's go get coffee. But we are friends. With, you know, similar interests, similar interests, and you know, particle accelerators on our back. So, <laughs> the point being is, in the end, you have to be careful, and that is the most important thing in this day and age. The internet has changed every way we look about our life, mm-hmm. but it does not change the real danger that is out there. Okay, there are monsters out there, and the scariest monsters are ones that you don't know about. Exactly. So the more ready you are for them, the better, because you don't think it can happen to you until it's right there. Mm-hmm. Then that yeah. changes everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. It's sad. It's sad. And like, we can say like, Christina's parents, you know, oh, they could have done a better job. Like, we don't know. We don't know. They were going through some stuff, you know, 
things happen. Were, were they suffering from, you know, the, the drug disease that's a, a real thing? You right. know, addiction could be. Could be, and that's why they were making the choices that they were making. And, you know, could Christina have benefited from something else? Maybe. Maybe, maybe she was looking for love on the internet because she didn't feel loved. And maybe I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know either, but we wish it had gone better for her. Exactly. And it's, it's so sad because like, I mean, yeah, we use the internet and we were anonymous on the internet. Sometimes, sometimes we weren't, sometimes we said our real names. Well, maybe not our real names, but like a, a yeah, nickname yeah. or something. But like, we never actively sought out to meet people that we met online and when we would see these horrible things on the internet, we'd be like, oh, okay, never talking to that person again. Nope. <laughs> no mas. Avoiding that Africa. chat room now. <laughs> like, I feel like, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Was she exposed to something, tra I mean, extremely traumatic? I don't know. By being bounced back and forth? Do we, like, could she have also encountered some kind of molestation when she was younger and now she's trying to deal with it by just having more sex i don't know who knows who knows but i don't know if the aunt could have done anything at the time because there really wasn't such a thing as like parental controls or anything like that there really wasn't there was no way to really monitor what your kid was doing unless you knew programming and you could create your own program to do that but right. like who did that other than nerd programmers my husband <laughs> right you know like these days it's it's much easier uh to to have parental controls to monitor what your kid's doing like you can literally have like a, a, a screen mirror you can like literally watch what they're doing from your right. own like monitor like in another room or a laptop or whatever mm -hmm. you can put a gps uh not gps but like uh those apps where you can track where your kids are going right like those things are there. Like, I didn't get my first cell phone until, like, 2005, I think, or 2004. Yeah, no, I remember that I didn't get my first one until I was 2004. Yeah. And I, I was a year or so of begging, <laughs> saying that I didn't want to use pay phones anymore whenever plans changed or have to borrow someone's cell phone. Oh, I got a part-time job. That's why I got mine. Well, mine – So I could mine like, be like, hey, the, can you come pick me up? Mine was, like, the cheapest – like single form. It wasn't a flip phone. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, mine was a Sony Ericsson and it had like the buttons yeah. on it. And yeah. But when butt dialing was a thing, because there's no butt dialing now, so my butt would dial everybody. <laughs> there was no locking your screen. <laughs> so in the end, this is just a real cautionary tale and it's really sad, but we have to pass these kind of unfortunate legends along because it teaches you a lesson mm -hmm. on the internet. If you lie, you run risk of things like this happening to you. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And never tell anyone you don't. You think you know someone on the internet, you don't know them. They no. can tell you anything and it could sound so honest. People can lie to your face and sound honest. There's no way you can tell, oh, yeah, no, this person isn't lying. You have no idea. Not at all. No idea. So, so stay safe out there. Even though the internet is a much safer place now than it used to be, still, still stay watch safe. yourself and stay safe. Please do. Yes. So that's my story. And now we're going to go on to some spooky stuff with Drew. Sorry for emotionally <sighs> depressing everybody. Hopefully we'll get some more emotional depression from Drew. <laughs> Thanks. No pressure there. 
So let me just decompress. From yeah, that. have a little drinky yeah, drink, let me just, you know, just relax a little bit. Boy, I wish this wasn't just water right now. So we are now heading to uh, Derby, Connecticut. Where's which, that? Well, it's a it's in Connecticut. It, as I just said, it's one of, officially one of the smallest cities in Connecticut. Oh, okay. Well, according to the town leaders, who that's their, I'm not sure, maybe unofficial or official town motto. It's this very quaint, pleasant place that covers an area of just over five square miles of New Haven County. Okay. With a population of 12,000. Oh, they're, they're, they're small. The small Oh, they're town. small. Small town. So, but they're a city or they're a town? Which are they? Um, I don't know how they define. No, it, I, that's, it's technically a city. Okay, okay. So we are now at what is called the Sterling Opera House. It's at 111 Elizabeth Street, which is located right now in the Birmingham Historic District. Okay. We'll get to that. Okay. okay. So in the beginning, we're, we're flashing back to, let's say. The Big say, Bang? No. <laughs> no. Not that no, far there, back. No, there's no bare naked ladies going to be singing that song right now. <laughs> so we are now in the 19th century. So we're going back in time again, as we normally do with me, because <laughs> history throughs the supernatural with your host, Drew. So we are now at, at an intersection of the Hastanic and the Nagatuck Rivers. So Derby is ideally situated for what is called a grist mill. Mm-hmm. So these are, you know, manufacturers. This is an area where a lot of manufacturing will come from. So f- companies are flocking to this area. We are manufacturing everything from hoop skirts and corsets to brass items and pianos. Okay. So this is so this, a, is, this is a happening place. This is like warehouses and right warehouses. Okay. We're building a town. This is like when this is like the gold towns back in the West. You know, uh. you would find gold. The town would sprouse about it, and then this would keep it going. Yeah. So as the place is getting bigger and bigger in the 19th century, they are doing what other self-respecting boom towns mm-hmm. do in the U.S. We're going to build ourselves an opera house. Yeah. This is the mini malls of the 19th century. Of the 19th century, century opera right. houses, yeah. It's yes. like, you're getting big, opera. <laughs> so so this is this is an act of civic pride this is we are here we are important we have this place like for example in iowa alone 1500 opera houses were built following the civil war Damn. which is that's almost all of which today have either now been closed down <laughs> and repurposed torn down or lost to fire so out of those 1500 we probably have like two maybe like 50 50 okay so of course, though, now we have the opera house built, being built, you're having competition with neighboring cities because everybody uh, wants to be on the map. Right. So you have rivalries saying from one place, oh, well, there, our opera house is going to have more stuff. It's going to have more crushed velvet and chandeliers. <laughs> We're going to have two pianos. We're going to get the biggest stars. It's huge. So- one of, of these rivalries happens in Connecticut because just short of Derby is the town of Ansonia. Okay. So this place is already getting flush with money because they got the, they're banking on the copper industry. Uh, so Ansonia, which is the, now it was, was once a borough of Derby, 
They built an opera house in 1870. Okay. Despite that they have a population of less than 3,000. <laughs> so That's how important opera houses were at this point, people. You got 3,000 people in your town, build an opera house so we could be important. <laughs> pretty much. So the officials in Derby, they're up, at this time, their population is over 3,000. They're like, Okay. We're going to raise you a better opera house. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So they start construction, right? Okay. And April 2nd, 1889, the doors of the Sterling Opera House are open to the public. This is named after Charles Sterling, who was a renowned piano manufacturer in Derby. This was designed by a renowned architect whose name was H. Edwards Ficken. Mm-hmm. Now, we in New York know him because he was the co-designer of Carnegie Hall in Manhattan. Oh. He was also one of the architects of Coney Island's Stone Steel Pier and the Bronx's Woodlawn Cemetery. Whoa. So this guy is big for us. So they had him design that they have this built in a very Italianate Victorian style. Ooh, that's so pretty. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. So this is this place is being built to serve both political and entertainment needs because at the same time that this is an opera house, is it for entertainment? It will also serve as a city hall and as a police station with its own jail. What? Yeah, this is. So they're like, hey, let's do multi-purpose. <laughs> yeah, let's just. It's like, oh, you're gonna have opera, opera, city hall, and police, and police, same building. <laughs> what? Game set match. <laughs> Mike drop. Boom. So. You have a main stage of 1,200 seat auditorium. You got a giant proscenium arch, orchestra pit, unobstructed views of the stage. Ooh. The seating arrangement is um, influenced by German composer Richard Wagner. Now, his conception of a triangular layout basically means that everybody, no matter where you're sitting, you see perfect. Okay. There's, it's a 100% unobstructed view of the stage. So now where you're sitting, it's like you're sitting in the front. Wow. So yeah, there's no, oh, I can't, what's going on? Oh yeah, like over this guy's head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, however you're seeing it, I mean, I, you know, you can't really argue with when someone who's six foot is sitting in front of you and yeah. it's just Yeah, listen cumbersome. tall people sit in the back. Right. <laughs> so, Drew. Shut up. Tall Danny. mofo. Shut up, Danny. I'm watching the show. <laughs> so- Essentially, in the most ideal condition, the acoustic in this place were supposedly so good that a whisper on stage could have been heard in the back of the room. Ooh, that's kick-ass. Yeah, this place is awesome. Oh, my God. So, literally, we built the stage. Now we got to Build the city hall? Not not to build the city hall. We now have to put acts on it. Oh, right. (laughs) Right, that part. (laughs) Right. So this place is used for hundreds of shows, plays, and live musical performances from the beginning till when it closes. So we see some of the biggest names in 20th century entertainment. For example, Lionel Barrymore performs here. Funny enough, and my personal hero, Harry Houdini, performed there. Holy crap. True story. And funny enough, on right of the stage, facing the audience is a trap door, which some believe Harry used in one of his acts. (laughs) When I saw that, I was like, You're like, yeah. I was was amazed. (laughs) Boxing champion John L. Sullivan did a turn as Simon Legree in a production of Uncle Tom's Tech Cabin. And Amelia Earhart addressed the local women's club in 1936 there. What? 
Master Comedian Red Skelton did a great show for the locals. And apparently even March King John Philip Sousa brought his Star Spangled Band to town and had the whole place rocking. Nice. And, and an unfortunately odd note that I have to bring up, D.W. Griffith, who some of us might remember for his wonderfully controversial film, The Birth of a Nation, apparently... Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. The first, the first show ever was supposedly at the Sterling Opera House. Oh. You would know this because it was considered groundbreaking, but overwhelmingly racist. <laughs> Right, Wait, that part. Yes, which Derby was like, whoa, we got first dibs. Awesome. And Sonia was like, yo, fuck these guys. <laughs> like, we have an opera house too. Why is everybody coming oh, to this? Hold on. You know, <laughs> yeah. So we have people like George Burns, Gracie Allen, Milton Berle, Bob Hope, and Bing Crosby are all people who showed up and wow. performed at the Sterling Opera House in its heyday. So if you go there now... um. It, the place is a little bit has seen better days. It's pretty mm. much. It's not really like kept. It wasn't kept well. Okay. It, a lot of it wasn't. But the seats on the ground floor have all been removed. Many are lying under, uh, you know, tarps and stuff on the side. But the wooden seats on the two balconies, they're still there. The original Ooh. seats. So if you flip up the wooden seats, you see the original wire racks under the seats where guys could store their hats. Oh. For the performances, two seats hold. Apparently, a particular secret. One had a peculiar stenciled star within a circle that's thought to be this is where, if you were sitting there, you could win a prize during the show. Oh. So this is the, you know, and come on down. If you're sitting in that seat, you get a stuffed bear. Okay. You so know. you wanted that seat? Or? Mm-hmm, okay. Pretty much. Some of the old background scenes uh, from old shows, one depicting an enchanted forest and another one a view of a seashore, they're still on the stage. Oh. Yeah. It, over it's, over 100 years ago, these were used in performances. Wow. We don't know what the plays are for, but right. still there. The walls of the backstage still have a lot of reminders of past performers thanks to a lot of old posters that are still on the walls. Names like performers like Samson the Strongman or <laughs> Zelda the Snake, the world's greatest contortionist. We don't know who they are, right. but back in those days, they would have brought packed shows. Wow. So one particular dressing room has something even more remarkable. They actually still have mementos from the showgirls there because back in the day, Dancing girls for the chorus lines used to change and do their makeup stuff there. Some of them left their mark by kissing the walls, which left the imprint of their lipstick. Of the lipstick. It's still there? 100 years or so there. Bright pink kisses still remain on the walls. Oh, my God. Yep. Pretty cool. So. That's so sweet. The shows continued till about 1945. Then the shows are over. Oh. So, like I said... Sterling wasn't just a place of historical significance versus of entertainment. It also had a, some slight historical significance. For example, end of 19th century, a large group of women walked off their jobs at the local Pogset Mill. That's a Native American name. I'm sure I said it wrong. A reflection of the labor unrest that was in the area. It took 54 hours and a personal visit from the AFL president Samuel Glompers. No, Gompers, right. Gompers and the strike. 
The settlement was announced in the packed room at the Sterling. The first national convention of the Purple Heart Association was also in that same opera house. Oh, wow. With over 60 delegates coming from as far as California. Because at that time, that was pretty far. That was pretty far, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) These days, it's a hop and a skip. Exactly. So, we know, 1945, it's no longer an entertainment place. Mm -hmm. But if you go underneath the stage, you still find empty rooms and corridors Tealy, like peeling teal paint covering the doors, glass windows, windows stenciled with gold names like Mayor's Aid, Alderman, Deputy Commissioner oh. Charities, because it was still the city hall. The city hall, yeah. Right. So, so essentially, from what I understand, these were all under the stage. Oh, wow. So you're so you're conducting business. You got to happen and show up. <laughs> like you know, I mean, that's the best thing ever. You can be like, all right, well, I'm going on break. Let's see who's performing. Let's see who's exactly. Like, well, I'm going to go enjoy the show for a bit. I'll be back in five. I'll be back. You know? Exactly. Imagine trying to do work and that's like echoing through the hall. I just kind of imagine it like you're doing work and then it's like it's seen in Aristocats when they just fall through the floor. Falling through the floors, yeah. Yeah. Everybody wants to be a cat. Trying to do work here. Trying, trying to work to exactly, here. Trying to Can write. you get out of my office right now? You cats. You know, just, just stupidness. <laughs> so you have, but again, it was also the, the jail. So you have rows of jail cells that are sitting in total disrepair. Oh, wow. But the doors still slam shut. Really? They still lock. They still work. So amongst those. Don't get caught in there, guys. True story. Amongst those who were locked up there included members of the violent Italian organization called La Mano Nera, or in Italian, the Black Hand. Oh. It's quite likely those incarcerated in the dungeon would have heard the sound of the <laughs> orchestra performing above their heads. But so also this place is significant because this, as it's put, eerie subterranean prison once held Lydia Sherman, who is one of America's most notorious female serial killers. They exist. Who, from what you told me back in the day, female serial killers, rare, but they do happen. But I seem to recall your critique was that very often female serial killers are fond of poisoning. Indeed. Their victims. Funny enough, Lydia Sherman's nickname was The Poison Fiend. No. True story. I am surprised. She was the archetypal Victorian black widow murdering 10 victims with arsenic, hmm. including three husbands mm-hmm. and seven children. What? Yep. You know, it's funny. I always feel like arsenic is very common. Apparently, did you yeah, know that? Very, it's in rat poison. Yeah. Uh, Napoleon, there's this theory that Napoleon. Yeah, you told me that, that his uh, girlfriend or wife gro- was yeah, slowly. Yeah, Josephine might have been slowly poisoning him. And that's him. why he's always putting his, his, his hand his on chest. his stomach. Yeah, because it hurts. Because it, it, was, it was in pain. They have a theory that she was slowly poisoning him. With arsenic, disguises garlic on his food. Mm-hmm. So that's time you have garlic bread. <laughs> and the youngest of those kids was just under nine months. By the oh, way. God, that's terrible. Sherman published her own memoir, oh. which I assume I'll see if I can get you a copy. Please don't. The bestseller, Confession of the Arch Murderess of Connecticut. No, thank you. Where she calmly and chillingly mm-hmm. outlined how she put arsenic in her first husband's oatmeal. Mm-hmm. to, quote unquote, put him out of the way as he would never be any good again. 
to also dosing one of her children's milk with more poison. Mm -hmm. She even inspired a popular song, mm. which I will now. Uh, Please don't sing it. No, I'm not going to sing it. Please don't sing you know, it. Okay. I'm going to. I'm going to read it. There's no okay. point. I, I really don't know if I could somehow sing this and make this a happening tune, even if you <laughs> auto tuned it and put a <laughs> remix on it. So Lydia Sherman is plagued with rats. Lydia has no faith in cats. So Lydia buys some arsenic and then her husband gets sick and then her husband, he does die and Lydia's neighbors wonder why. Uh-huh. That's the rhyme? Yep. Okay. I feel like I've heard that rhyme before. Yeah. Creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And it's just... Fun Dr. Stuff. Seuss, whoever that was, was not. <laughs> so... Fun times with Lydia. Pretty much. So she, you know, was there for a bit before her untimely end. I don't have that record because I'm sure history unfortunately remembers her. Even you knew <laughs> of her. So, you know, eventually this closes down as well. The entire building uh, falls into general disrepair, although being added to the National Register of Historic Places. On November 8th, 1968, it was the first building in Connecticut to be listed in the National Register of Historic Places. Okay. But right now, the place is not looking good. Oh. It still looks fantastic in the photos I've I've posted to be sent. Uh, but you could tell it's seen a better day. Yeah, it's clearly seen a better day. Yeah. It's in the middle of renovation plans and fundraising where they're hoping to have it open once again oh. for, you know, not just as of historical significance, but also as an entertainment venue. So some work has been already done. They've had a uh, new cupolas have been added in recent years. I don't know what that is, <laughs> but it's I think it's I nice. know, but I can't yeah. really recall. So. So true. Yep. Ask it. Where's the ghost? <laughs> I never get tired of that. <laughs> so regarding that, some paranormal investigators have claimed to have recorded multiple EVPs, which are, you know, recordings of, of yeah. voices of children, as well as images depicting ghosts, mists, and orbs. Uh, shadow figures and other apparitions have been reported here. One picture taken uh, purposely showed the spirit of a young woman in Victoria-era dress and a child. In addition, some witnesses have also claimed to see the handprints of a child appear in various spots on windows throughout the theater. So unlike other haunted places that we've seen where there's usually a story, mm -hmm. there doesn't seem to actually be one associated with the house. No, uh, no reason why this would be there. Mm -hmm. Some believe that these alleged spirits might be associated with Charles Sterling, who the place is named after. Uh, who died before it was completed, or maybe his widow. Mm. Others think that the spirit of a young boy is trapped here, eternally treading the floorboards, looking for someone to play with him. Aww. I know, it's really sad, right? So, sad. so April 2011, uh, Sci-Fi's Ghost Hunters investigates the Opera House. I believe oh. they found some things. Now, this great website uh, that I did a lot of research from uh, called The Damned CT, they went in June 2011 with a team of, of investigators to investigate themselves. And among that team was Rich DiCarlo. He's the chairman of Derby's Cultural Commission. Mm -hmm. And Dan Rivera and Troy Leong from the Above the Realm Paranormal Investigate team. There's a lot of us out there. Mm -hmm. So, and I quote, we went backstage and into the dressing room area where there are all sorts of remnants of Sterling's rich history. Oh, we mentioned the performers. 
And we also went down to the lower level, which at one time served the city hall and the police station. You do not want to be locked in one of those jail cells down there now. <laughs> we also went to the room where the ghost hunters speculated gave the people the creeps because of the high windows. Oh. High windows. You know how high windows, especially at certain points, give you that weird impression of being lo- of being watched, especially if lights flashing in it? Yeah. So essentially, as they say, many of the experiences are believed to revolve around an entity called Andy. Mm-hmm. whom Rich told us is the spirit of a young boy. Throughout the opera house, this is still from the dam's account, mm-hmm. there are toys and balls for Andy to play with. Mm-hmm. In the back of the main hall, there are even a few balls set up on empty cardboard tubes for Andy to knock off. There are, in fact, soccer balls and other toys scattered across the building, and they have been said to move from place to place and disappear. Oh, Rich shared a few other unusual episodes he's had in the building from witnessing a handprint appear in the dust of a chair and seeing balls move on their own. Dan, uh, from the Above the Realm group, played us an EVP recorded what sounded like a young boy singing. So Rich DiCarlo said in a separate uh, article in 2012 that one afternoon... He unlocked the building and escorted two visitors up to the stage area. He quickly noticed a door to a former bathroom was ajar. He said he had been in the building the day before and the door was closed. So he further said he had never seen the door open. Mm-hmm. He walked over to the door and was about to shut it when it said, and he quote, it shut in my face and then locked. Yep. <gasps> also, okay. Mayor... Anthony Staffieri in 2012 said he had a personal experience in the opera house as well. One such experience said, I quote, I went downstairs with a flashlight on to turn on the power. The light went off. I had to go outside and it goes on. I go back inside. It goes off. Oh, my God. Another time he said he was in the basement when the weirdest feeling came over him. I felt like someone was right behind me. The hair stood up on the back of my neck. It was a feeling of being watched. Mm-hmm. And a 2018 article had resident Jack Walsh, who is a Derby resident and a self-described history buff, recall that one ghost hunter who visited the Sterling claimed he saw a playground ball moving around the theater by itself. They said it would roll for no reason, said Walsh. But they also showed some other things of waves that might be a person and that there were also voices, the voices of a little boy. boy. Mm-hmm. So that's my story. I'd like to thank uh, derbyct.gov, wiki, a big thank you to the damnedct.com, nhregister.com, nbcconnecticut.com, and a huge thank you to atlasobscura.com for all of their big history. Thank you so much, everybody. And so that's the Sterling Opera House. What'd you think? Awesome. Right? Super creepy. Oh, my God. I think I would poop my pants if a door just slammed and locked in my face. Like on two <laughs> ends for me, the history was fantastic. I mean, the history is great. The oh amount my gosh. of entertainment and just celebrities they must have seen through the, the years. Right. And it sounds like. And their own local celebrities. Mm-hmm. And then the, on top of it, it sounded like the place was just beautiful. I would have loved to have seen it in its heyday. Yeah, but would they're restoring it. They're trying. Or trying to. Yeah. It's going to cost a lot of money. When you see the pictures, it's. Well, if it's considered a historical building, I don't think they can tear it down at this point, like legally. No, like, they that's can't. not allowed. Historical like, buildings are protected that way. Yeah. But at the same time, 
it's historic and you know it's a beautiful place it really should be put to use yeah you know it's a place like that is meant for performances you know it's yes. like when you see something really beautiful you do the inedos it belongs in a museum <laughs> you know people belong on, on the, the stage, stage. <laughs> <coughs> so yeah what's your I'm, voice drew <laughs> i'm really hoping that they get the money because personally if it gets reopened we're going. Oh, we're definitely going. Definitely going. Go. We're going to see a show. I want to see sit. shows. I want to see comedians up there. I want to see performances. And Danny I will see... never be there after dark. And then I'll... <laughs> and they're like, no, no, we're going to go. I've, I've heard what's I'll happening. I'll never be there by myself after, after dark. Yeah. And You're safe in groups. You, may, you might be safe. If you bring a, maybe bring a, a, a soccer ball, you might be safe. Yeah, like, might be safe. Andy, this is for you. I'm going to go just... <laughs> Play with this after, and then it starts moving. Toward, okay, I'm going to go now. But we don't know if it's Andy who closed the door and locked it. It could be. I mean, like I said. That sounded rude, like Andy, rude. Yeah, but the thing being is they've said that there could be other things there, but Andy, even if that's whatever the name. Because, you know, sometimes they choose they their own names. They just make a name, yeah, for the yeah ghost. Yeah, we saw that with the Stanley Hotel, right? I seen her, The one of, Shanley Hotel? Right, sorry. <laughs> The Shanley. I keep saying Stanley. I'm, I'm so. It's your own story. I know, right? <laughs> so the Shanley Hotel. Yeah. Um, I seem to recall one. It was either that or there was a child there, but they didn't know who it was. Right. They gave it. They gave it, one of the stories. They gave it a name. Yeah. One of the stories I did. The the they gave it its own name. Like yeah. it, it gave its own name. So, I mean, it's always sad when it's a kid. Yeah. You know. I mean, it might not even have been – it could have been just like a kid in town that just loved the opera and then he passed away and that's where he – Can you imagine if it was one of those like he died during a show? Oh, I feel like they would have said that though. Yeah, it's true. That's the one thing that there's not a lot of evidence of why. So we might not and we might never really find out why. But from what it sounds like, it's again, it's not a malevolent spirit. It's playful. Yeah. It just, I mean, slams the door in the face. Considering what we've seen in the past, <laughs> slamming doors and moving sock, like playground balls around, uh, yeah. that's like Bush not, League. Not that's that bad. Level one or two. That's like, okay. You go. It's a tutorial level. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's the rookie level. It's like, so you want to be a ghost. Um, so that's pretty much it for me in Connecticut. So, you know, what is Love it you. about theater? And ghosts. I feel like everywhere we yeah, go. Every theater's got a ghost. It, it's either theater houses or hospitals. <laughs> if I, I, hospitals I, make sense. I've though. come across a lot of those in Connecticut where I'm just like, this formal, like, nope, haunted. <laughs> and like in the 50s, nope. Nope. And they had horrible medical practices. Oh, this was built 100 years ago. Nope, no, no thank you. No, nope, thank you. Nope, I'm There good. is definitely some blood there that we are not addressing. <laughs> So I feel like it's always something like that. But there's just something about theater that just attracts ghosts. I mean, I guess it's the drama. It's continues. <laughs> it's the drama and the music yeah. and the story. It continues, even in death. <laughs> so that's me. So do you have anything to add before we wrap this up? No, I think we're spooked out enough. Yeah, um, I think. I got the chills. Yeah, you definitely got, you made it, you did the face. So I did the I'm face good. with the chills. And I'm still sad from your your episode so i'm gonna go sad story yep your very sad story so on that note thank you for listening we appreciate you tuning in at this time you can go back to whatever you were doing before and (laughs) i think your laundry is definitely done if that's what you were doing while you were listening i have a few friends who do that so of course check us out we are on you can do it you can do do this you can do this we are strange little worlds we are on apple podcast we are on spotify we're on 
Twitcher. It was it again? Is it, wait, Stitcher. Stitcher. Google. S- Stitcher. And Google Podcast. And Google Podcast. We are also on Facebook as Strange Little Worlds. On Instagram, we're SLW Podcast. Our website is the full name, strangelittleworlds.com. Yeah. We'll get it ready eventually. And I mean, the other one. I yes. mean, we still have a website. It's just our episodes, but we want right. to get like an about yeah. page. like The whole deal. Yes. And please, like, we can't stop asking you enough. We're going to keep doing it because it's just until you all start doing it. If you like what you hear, let us know you're alive. <laughs> Write a review. Post it. We will love we will love seeing it. We will give you a shout out. Yes. We will thank you personally. Yes. If you want to send us a photo, we'll post it and be like, here's our second favorite fan. Exactly. You know, exactly. We know. And we are also on something called podchaser.com. Podchaser. If you don't have iTunes, right? Because we ask people to get, leave us a rating and a review so we look right. legit. If you're one of our listeners who doesn't have iTunes, because that's the only place where you can rate and review us. Podchaser is where you can leave us a, rev- a rating and a review as well to give us like a little boost in, you know, being a legit podcast. So if you don't have iTunes, podchaser.com, Strange Little Worlds, leave us a rating and a review. Thank you and good night. <laughs>